as we celebrate the athlete's success on and off the field, and talk about the mental health and how they are having success after the game. It's a pleasure to introduce you guys to Dr. Sean Fletcher, a professor out of San Jose State. Not only professor, he's a diversity trainer, speaker, entrepreneur. How's it going, man? How are you doing today? Thank you, thank you, man. Look, uh, again, I just want to thank you for taking time out to chat with us. Uh, at Sports Lounge Podcast, we really focus on athletes' health, mental health, and trying to give them a healthy transition after sports to help them stay relevant. So um, so I know that you used to be an athlete yourself out of San Jose State. Uh, you used to play football, correct? Yeah, I did, man, a long, long time ago, man, <laughs> before I had all these gray hairs and kids and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I was a cornerback. San Jose State University back in, in, I was a junior college transfer, actually, wow. from Southern California. I'm originally wow. from St. Louis, Missouri. And they recruited me, man, to, to come up here and nice. play ball. So it was really cool, man. I had a really cool experience. And it's even cooler that now I'm back 20 years later teaching. Yeah, hey, that, that's real cool. How's that, that, for, how's that for, for, you know, a, a jock? Man, that's, that's major. Playing ball, now you teaching, giving the game back. <laughs> In a major way, man. That, that's major prop. So, so what, what, what made you? Well, so so you did the JUCO route and went to San Jose State. So, what made you um, um, not pursue ball after your your college your collegiate career? Man, the interesting part about it was is that from from high school on, injuries mm-hmm. just followed me, man. Yes, injuries just followed me, man. You know how there there are just certain people that that have you know, the, the physical gifts mm-hmm. and they, they squander them. Mm-hmm. And then there are others that, you know, may not necessarily have all of the sort of the, the good nature and good luck in terms of physical health and all of that, but they just try to get the most out of their body. Yes. Okay, okay. Had surgery after surgery, hamstring pulls, tore it off the bone, uh, dislocated my big toe in one of the biggest games with scouts were there. And... It was just one of those things, man, that followed me from high school, which made me have to go to JUCO. Then JUCO, I really, man, I got a scholarship off of about four games of film. Just, hey, JUCO? Know, the Lord blessed me. Wow. Yeah, the good Lord just blessed me to, yes. to ball out those few games that scouts were there. But injuries just played my career all the way through San Jose State. And to answer your question, I just got tired, man. Mm-hmm. Like, my, like many athletes, it just started weighing on me mentally. Mm-hmm. I got tired of rehabbing. I got tired of the what ifs. I got tired of the flesh, man. You could be this if if you were just healthy all the time. I got t- I still hear that to this day from my my boys who I played with. Is what if what could have been, and it just started yes. weighing on me, man. I okay. didn't even when I was done, I was done. I didn't even go to our pro day uh, during that spring after my my senior year, where most folks were clamoring trying to get ready to go to it. I was thinking about what was coming next in life. My mind was gone. Wow. Okay. So it's safe to say your last year playing um, college ball, you, you was focused on life after. So what was the inspiration um, of you becoming a professor and to really further your your, educa- your education? And by the way, congratulations to the full events of the scholarship I see. <laughs> but... <laughs> So, 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 what inspired you to 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 take that route? Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you and, and tell you some whimsical story that I started off wanting to be a professor. I did. Mm-hmm. I was playing football. 
I just had it. I just had it ingrained in me from a very young age, from from two loving parents and four other siblings. I'm the youngest of five, who who really charted the course for me, man, about education and how important it was. I had two brothers who played in the NFL uh, for a number of years, and uh, my sister was 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 really rigorous in her education, and my oldest brother. You know, just kept sticking to the grind and pursuing, you know, education, even though sometimes it was evasive. I saw that blueprint, even though I was focused on football 100% when I was playing. Once I started to realize that, you know what, man, I'm not even about to go through this grind and rigor of trying to make it to the league. And at that time, man, we still had... We still had arena football. We still had yes. out here in San Jose. The Sabercats were doing it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I didn't want to even put myself mentally and physically through that grind of trying to get ready for it off of several surgeries. I started pivoting towards what's next. And what was next for me was education. When many of my, my buddies were trying to figure out what their sociology degrees were going to get them working in group homes and all mm-hmm. of that, I said, no. That's, that's not that's not going to be for me. Uh, more power to them. So I started looking to see, man, what is it that I'm interested in? And uh, public relations and communication was one of those things that early in my, my college career, uh, my, my cousin actually kind of picked my brain and we came up with, man, you like communication, let's do it. So I pursued that. Nice. Then I said, okay, well, this competitive nature that's in me says that a bachelor's degree is not the pinnacle. So I started looking for what's the next. You want to talk about trying to get rid of, of the, the competitive juices. Didn't come easily. Yes. I said, what's next? Mm-hmm. All right. A master's degree. Let me go try and get that. Then I learned from some mentors down there when I was in, because I went to the University of Central Florida okay. for my, my graduate degree. And that's a different story. Of I wasn't even admitted into Central Florida. My wow. grades were terrible. Coming out of, of San They were average at best. Okay. Um, I wasn't admitted fully until my last semester when I was graduating. Okay. Because they let me come down there and just take classes on a handshake agreement. Wow. I wasn't even admitted. They just let me take classes. Um, I don't know if they do that anymore. Hopefully they do mm-hmm. to give people like me a chance. Yes. But then I then I found my way to to, to Howard University, man, where yeah. I just kept I fell in love with academia the same way I love football. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with academia and the knowledge behind it and the empowerment that they gave me yes. to be able to do that same maneuvering just mentally that I used to do physically. I loved it. Love it to this day. That's good. I mean, you ever think about your journey? You have a serious journey. You went from Missouri to Southern Cal to San Jose State, to, what is it, uh, University of Central Florida, all the way to HU, you back to San Jose State. Uh, how was, it was safe to say that you kind of, you was very focused your last year, one of few, you know, I'll just say one, one of the selected athletes who looked like really was focusing and trying to put together life, you know, focusing on life after sports. So, did you, did you experience with any, any, mental health issues like with all the injuries and you know the last year of, uh, of school just now and then you facing reality did that did i play a role in with any of your mental health or anything i did it, it, you know what it, i did deal with that okay but you know jerry the hard part about it is is that especially at a young age i didn't realize what it was until many years later mm-hmm. in hindsight you know when i was going through it i mean even in high school I had my first knee surgery, which was 
in hindsight, it was microfracture surgery before they even called it that. I had it my sophomore year in high school when all of my buddies were out there balling. And there was no actual injury that I could point to. Nobody clipped my knee. No, it, it just gradually got worse. Wow. And so you want to talk about, you know, trying to figure out what the heck is going on with somebody who's just getting started and who had expectations. Because being the youngest of five, at that point, I had a, a brother who was a top-tier NFL prospect at the University of Wisconsin at that point. Okay. That expectation was on me. I had a brother who was about to, who was getting scholarship offers from UCLA, ended up going there. Um, and that that pressure was on me. Of I was supposed to be the next hot thing coming out of my house. While I was raised, okay. And, and I was ready for it. That was the thing. It wasn't that I didn't have the ability. I was ready. Mm-hmm. And then I started experiencing injury and unmet expectation and disappointment. And I didn't know how to balance all of that stuff. And just as a young kid, I just kept plowing away and had knee surgery my sophomore year in high school, missed that whole season, thought everything was good, had to have another one, missed my junior season. So I look up and I'm coming from freshman year to now senior Senior. year. Wow. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting word from recruiters. I, I'll never forget this day. Um, a, a, a good friend of my, my mm-hmm. brother's, uh, one of their one of his college uh, friends, uh, who is now a, a head coach in, uh, for a, a major, major Big Ten uh, institution. And I won't say his name because maybe he wasn't supposed to tell me. To tell me <laughs> but he, he told my, my, my brother that I was flagged in their recruiting database as having a degenerative injury that was never going to get better. So they stopped even. Wow. So so they really do that. Wow. Interesting. They absolutely do that. It is wow. a very scientific process from that standpoint. Okay. And I learned that going into my senior year. I was getting letters from Tom Osborne from Nebraska. He called me. I was getting calls from all these Big Ten schools just on the strength of of my pedigree Mm -hmm. and the expectations that they had on me. And I I wasn't able to live up to any of that. And I looked up and I said, by no doing of my own, do I feel like a failure? Do I feel like I could not do the things that were expected of me? And from a very competitive household, we, we pride ourselves on rising to the occasion. When the lights turn on, we're at our best. And I couldn't do it. And all these cliches, you can't make the club in the tub, that was me. <laughs> yes. And that weighs on your mind. Mm-hmm. And it weighs on your psyche. And no matter whatever foolish pride that I had as a young sort of, you know, bull running around trying to, to make things happen, in my quiet times, I thought about that stuff. I didn't let anybody know. But I, I thought about that stuff. Yeah, I remember that's my, a brother lot. And I, my, my brother, he was playing for the San Diego Chargers um, at the time when I, I uh, went to uh, Palomar College uh, for JUCO. He's the one who said, man, you should come out here. They have a really good junior college system. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm like, man, I, I really would like to in my heart of hearts. I'm like, man, I kind of want to follow in you guys' footsteps. I want to go Division One. I, I want to show people. And that wasn't in the cards. Okay. I was getting Miami of Ohio. I was getting Western Kentucky. 
I was getting these smaller schools. Yeah, D2, D3s, yes. Yeah, smaller schools, and mm-hmm. clients kept if my food's pride didn't didn't get in the way. Um, had I gone to Miami of Ohio, I would have played with a guy by the name of Ben Roethlisberger. But that's a different conversation. Okay, okay. He's talking about pride and making bad decisions. You know, you used to be your mind spoke on D1. It's- Absolutely. It ultimately played a significant role mm-hmm. in, in how I thought about myself, how I thought about who I was and my identity in this world of sport, in this world period. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately trying to figure out what it, who was I going to be without sport when I started realizing that I have the body of a of a 10-year NFL veteran and I'm a high school senior. Wow. That's something that ultimately I thought about even at the age of 18. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's a to lot about in high school. Wow. Just running around free of, of mind, mm-hmm. making making plays and, and living their dreams. I was sitting there having thoughts that you know wily veterans have at the end of their career about my body is broken up. My body was broken up before I got a chance to start. Wow. Okay. Uh, interesting story. And, and all that was just in high school. So it was in, it was in high school. Man. Wow. So, so I, do you, do you have the same type of thoughts in your last year in college? Like, do do do, do you find yourself going back to that space that 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 time when like you would start like okay, I don't know. This is for me. I need to do something else. Are you downing yourself? Or just we just look at the bigger picture. Do you, do you find yourself in the same place in college the last year in sports? Yeah, it followed me my entire okay. career. It's really oh, I, I had a I had a I, I only had small windows okay. where I was healthy. Okay. And it was it was euphoria. Mm-hmm. It was I was I was playing the best football, I got a chance to get in rhythm, my body felt right, and then something would happen. And it did get to a certain point to where I thought maybe this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. But as an athlete, you can never let those thoughts linger too long because you got to go perform. Yeah, so I'm mental. You got to that athlete, that have that bravado. You got to have that, you know, that man in the arena type of of Mm -hmm. psyche that ultimately, you know, lets athletes go and push aside some of the naysaying that ultimately allows for you to go in and do your job. So while that stuff was lingering in the back of my head, I had to shut it down, which meant I had to shut down the feelings and emotions that needed to be dealt with as to what that means for you, Sean. You have this duality of a student and an athlete, but also a human. Yeah. who is vulnerable, who is trying to figure out his place in this world at a very young age, moving into, at that point, 21, 22, going into my senior year of, you know, who are you going to be? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting opportunities to, to play against it. I remember my senior year, we played against Ohio State and Maurice Claret and <laughs> all those guys. The year they won a national wow. championship. Yes. The crowd at the 104,000 people. I'm thinking to myself, man, this is the life. Yes. I'm out on the field, man. And at that point, they broke a record. It was 104,000, first time that they ever had reached that because they had just renovated the stadium and wow. closed up the horseshoe. So my wow. mind started going back and forth. Though, man, maybe this is for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is for me. Maybe you should just stick it out. Give it another shot. And I, 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 it came to you know my mind, man. Again, my body told me. No, man, this isn't for you. I'm going to force you to make a decision. Are you going to keep pushing through this? 
or you're going to figure out what's next for you. And these are all things, Jerry, that I couldn't, uh, again, in hindsight, I can articulate it. Back then, I couldn't. Okay. I didn't know what was happening. I was just trying to cope and medicate mm-hmm. in terms of I'm taking Advil, I'm taking Vicodin when they prescribe it. I'm doing all these just things. Just trying to get through it. I'm, yes. I'm taking cortisone shots in the tip of my big toe. Wow. Crazy stuff. Just crazy stuff. Try, try and get through it. Wow. So, well, congratulations what you did. You transitioned very well. <laughs> now, 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 now you're giving back. So, did a little research on you. And I know, on top of you being a professional at San Jose State, you also uh, have your own firm, a, a principal, principal consultant for, was it Sean J. Fletcher yeah. Consultancy? Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about that, how, how that came about. So, so one of the things that, that amongst the many things that I'm passionate about is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And while I was doing public relations and communication in the corporate world for Apple and Audi and Volkswagen Group of America, um, I always saw, not ironically, but I always saw that many of the most understaffed areas in corporations dealt with diversity and inclusion. And 10 plus years ago, DEI was was an afterthought. It was an add-on. It was a nice to have. So I would always go help out. I would always go volunteer. And and I realized that it wasn't traditional volunteering. They needed us to actually do real work to help them out because they were so short-staffed. So I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the work that was being done. I more so fell in love with the impact it was making on people, the sense of pride that myself and others got seeing themselves represented seeing some of of their issues being brought to life and voiced in a a formal environment with leaders who otherwise were oblivious to it or just Mm -hmm. didn't care about it. I said, man, I want to do that. So every step of my corporate career at Apple, I helped Denise Young uh, Smith, who led our our, our DEI work at the time. I supported at, at Volkswagen Group. Michelle Williams was was tasked with leading that work and a number of other folks. And ultimately, I said, you know what, man? When I get that flexibility, once I do go into academia and have a bit more flexibility in my schedule and I'm not bound by the golden handcuffs of corporate America, mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pay that forward. And I, I crafted my business model, my plan, and I, I hung my shingle like like I encourage many people to do. Mm-hmm. If you have a passion and you have a skill set that allows for you to plug into a market that's out there that's very needy, uh, opportunity is there. And I did it. I was nervous about it, but I did it. And opportunity started to show up after, you know, time and time of hard work and persistence and strategizing. It, it, it's not, a, it wasn't a situation of if you build it, they will come. They weren't there at first. And then eventually I kept working my plan and adjusting my plan and things started to grow and build to, to kind of where it is now with working with local government for the most part, they ended up growing as part of my clientele. And then ultimately, you know, working with some corporations in the area that just continues to build. It allows for me to, to springboard into other areas and have conversations around Mm -hmm. DEI that's, that's off the books, Mm -hmm. Uh, just socializing what it is that's important. Nice. Nice. So, 
living in the Bay Area, um, it's definitely a shortage. I think what what we make up a four percent of work the workplace, African Americans. Yes, but I I would say say under five percent. So, do you really see? What's your thoughts about that? I mean. Is it it, it, we being uh, underserved in the the community or it is lack of opportunities, you know, especially in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Um, Bay Area? Lack of opportunity is a a loaded concept. Okay. Because opportunity could be there, just not for you. Okay. And and I think that's much of of what many many underrepresented and marginalized communities face is this glass... Uh, I won't call it glass ceiling because mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of associated with something else, but mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a mirage, if you okay. will, okay. Uh, to where you see positions being posted every single day mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. However, when you look up and say, "Okay, let's 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 peel back this onion. Let's peel back this onion," because we're sitting here looking at the whole onion mm-hmm. to say we're not represented. We're not here. We're not there. What's the problem? Yes. And we'll look at it in its totality without disaggregating this issue Mm -hmm. to say, okay, well, where are we being underserved? It's not just in the the job sector. It's everything that leads us up to being qualified to getting those jobs and also being, being viewed as viable candidates for those jobs. All right. Because we don't pick ourselves. We don't screen ourselves. We don't create the algorithms that are biased in nature that that weed out our resumes, all right? Mm-hmm. Because they see uh, uh, Howard University on it and not Harvard, or because they see Clark Atlanta on it and and, and they don't see uh, MIT. Well, there are many different systems that are in place that preclude that come before that that almost acts like as a prelude wow. to us getting opportunities to okay. be here. So. We're underrepresented as a as a community in in the Bay Area. I'm just gonna say the Bay Area, not even tech as a whole, because tech as a whole is much bigger than Silicon Valley. Exactly. I have to ask this after tech week, so absolutely. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We just created this cliche of Silicon Valley. Yes. Um, but we're underrepresented here in the Bay Area. We're underrepresented in STEM and STEAM uh, um, uh, vocations in terms of preparation. Uh, I see that on our campus and other mm-hmm. campuses. That's why you see such a big push of it all. Mm-hmm. We're underrepresented on college campuses, all right? Our college campus, uh, African-American population, it, it about mirrors the, the number that you threw out there. We're about 3% on a good day. Wow. Represented. Okay. Um, so then when you move into, okay, well, let's move from, from college level to where presumably you're supposed to go into these STEAM, STEM vocations to now, okay, well, who's doing the hiring? They don't look like me. They don't understand me. They don't know my potential. Many times bias will preclude them and and stop them from even seeing my potential. Um, Familiarity bias, culture bias, all those things. And you look up and the filter for black and brown talent coming in, you're getting it from both sides of the the pipeline isn't set up for you to be well represented in it. And then when I look and I see 
those who are making these hiring decisions, because I've seen them firsthand. I was one of them once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And I was the token. I was the I was the one that was there. You want to talk about the feeling of tokenism? There's a reason why mm-hmm. you, you see all of that. Okay. So now hiring and representation in any industry, in particular tech, if we isolate it and zoom in on one area, we'll miss everything else that feeds into why we don't see what we don't see. And I absolutely can 100% vouch that cultural fits typically leave out people of color, specifically black people. So we don't have the numbers. We don't have the numbers represented in education in those fields. We also don't have the leadership representation who's hiring and making hiring decisions in those fields. And then now, societally speaking, we're having conversations to try and figure out if if it's reverse racism, if it's reverse discrimination, if we're doing too much, if we've done enough and met our invisible quotas that we're not supposed to talk about. There's this whole major conversation that needs to be had from a, a systemic standpoint to figure out why we are where we are. And it's a distraction when, when, when people zoom in on one area. Agree, agree. And, and thanks for breaking it down because uh, I think it needs to be broken down from that perspective from every angle, not just from, you know, just, just one topic because it's bigger. It's just a big picture. And so many... Man, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. Sorry for the long <laughs> minute. No, no, no. You did, you did a great job doing it because I think I think people need to I need it needs to be breaking broken down because it's it's a problem but it's very relevant because you see it every single day and you know you went to college I went to college we know a lot of uh, educated brothers and sisters but you know but still it's still a problem when we come to um, economics employment because of the uh, you know the way it's broken down in the system so just have to ask and, pl- and pl- plus it's Afro Tech week. Been, I've been going through a lot of events, and, and, and it's been a conversation all week. <laughs> so, so yes. The, the, last part, the last point that I'll add to that, Jerry, is that uh, retention is also a problem, too. Mm-hmm. So those who, who, who make it to the, the holy grail of getting hired by one of these tech companies, the experience that they get doesn't always lend itself to retention. And oftentimes, people like me, it, it turns into a revolving door of you get in and then you find yourself out of it by no doing of your own because my performance reviews were great. Mm-hmm. I realized that this wasn't for me. And there are a lot of different reasons why. Conversation for another day. Yes. Why you see even those who are, those of, those people of color who are working within the tech sector mm-hmm. that one of the, the, the hiring representation crises that we see within the tech industry isn't simply getting people to come through the door. It's getting people to stay, stay. when they get there. That's part of the problem that is also not being really discussed. So, and, and, that, and that's a, that's a industry wide issue that again, getting people to hire, getting people to to make sure that folks feel represented and welcomed and a, a part of the the culture to where we aren't dealing with this cultural fit thing again the 
there's a reason why a lot of folks say that we aren't cultural fits as a reason not to hire us. It's a lot of times it's true from the standpoint of your culture has been so white centered and Eurocentric centered that once those who are outside of that dominant culture, because corporations, they don't just come from on high with some Moses tablets to say, we're going to have the company operate like this. No, people make up the culture. And if the people look one way and come from an outside culture one way, they're going to bring that into the org. Speak so on it. Yes, yes. The same way mm-hmm. that if I go into a, a cultural environment outside of a, a, a place of work and I don't know your music, I don't know your lexicon, I don't know your jokes, I don't know your movies, I don't know your little colloquialisms, I'm going to feel other. Well, what happens when those same groups of people are overrepresented in an organization and now I'm in it? Mm-hmm. Bro, we don't just all of a sudden have some corporate culture that created itself. The dominant group created it. Yes. So we end up going in there and realizing I don't belong here. I'm good at my job, but I don't feel like I belong here. Mm-hmm. And then you opt out. Yes. Yes. No, we about we about we about change the uh, directive of this podcast because you break it down. So, and and I think this conversation needs to be heard, and I think you specialize in this conversation because you you been you saw it and you been inside out with it from every aspect. So, I just want to touch touch on a couple uh, topics taking place today. Uh, what is your thoughts about the Colin Kaepernick documentary? Ah, you, you got, I have full disclosure, I haven't, I haven't Okay, seen you have, okay, okay. I haven't been all the way through. Okay, okay, um, you saw like I, one episode or any, I any? have only, I have only really sort of been fixated because what's, what's come out, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sort of stuck out, uh, would be, you know, his sort of, uh, alignment and the, the visualization of sort of the NFL and the, the recruiting process and the combine and mm-hmm. redraft and all of that likening it to slavery. Yes. So I did have to go check that part okay. out, and because everybody wanted to talk about it, mm-hmm. as did as did I. So mm-hmm. full disclosure, I haven't seen it in its okay. totality, so I can't give an overall okay. uh, assessment of it. Okay. However, I am I am curious as to as I have always been mm-hmm. with, with Colin is what what the end game is for some of the the actions that he yes. has. Not Some alone. Of the touch points that he has with his supporters and detractors alike is, you know, what is your end game? How is this contributing to filling the blank? To what? Yes. To advocacy for what? For a call to action to do what? Because again, with with such a great platform, I'm always fixated with individuals who command such attention. Mm-hmm. What do you do with it? What are you What are you galvanizing us to do? To be angry? Are you galvanizing us to have an emotion? Well, we've seen emotion without a call to action with it can have volatile consequences. Yes, yes. So I, I, I'm really curious, even from that standpoint, and I'm hoping again that it's not just a biopic that is to tell us about Colin Kaepernick, and that's it. Yes. Because Quite honestly, I'm not sure that anybody was asking for that. I think people are still trying to figure out how can we ride with you 
you know, Colin, and then, then where are you taking us? Agree, agree, agree. So let, let, let's talk about the, it, it, what are your thoughts? What, what do you think an athlete should have or um, the support system they should have to successfully, successfully trans, you know, transition from, from sports to life after sports? Because what I find like a lot of athletes don't have a support system, you know, it's, it's just a lot of variables that take place. But I think at the same time, I think it's kind of set up for them to fail, which is why I have the Sports Pals, the Sports Lounge podcast, to trying to address this issue. So, what, 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 you, what do you think an athlete should have to successfully trans, uh, transition to life after sports? Well, I mean, that, that's a it's such a layered, such a layered question mm-hmm. that. Again, you, you mentioned something in terms of it seems like the system is, is set up uh, to, to, for athletes to fail. I think the true system has been set up for athletes to be positioned exactly how the system meant for them to be, be positioned as commodities. We just fell in love with the narrative that the NCAA and the NFL, mainly the NCAA and amateur athletics, sold to us that this was some protective cocoon that we were going to have this win-win you know symbiotic relationship where you're going to go and get an education and have a well over time with your brothers and sisters on the field and uh, we're going to make sure that you have every resource possible to be successful for life after because we see all those commercials to say that one percent will go pro the rest of us will be out there in the world yes yeah, that's true but when I look at the proportionality of resources that go into that 1%, trying to get that 1% risen because yes. we know money comes with that, prestige comes with that, endowment raising comes with that. Mm-hmm. I see a disproportionality in terms of athletics of supporting them as opposed to the overwhelming 99 point uh, blah, 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 blah percent mm-hmm. that's ultimately going to have to go get a job. Yes. after this is all over with so the, the the unique challenge is and the the conversation i try to have with with young athletes is that you need to grow up quick because when you find yourself taking on especially scholarship athletes when you find yourself accepting a scholarship you are a professional without the title that you are a business man and businesswoman that ultimately you signed a literal contract because they could rescind it. People don't realize that. They can rescind that. You're not just getting, once you sign that, it's not guaranteed. It's renewal. Scholarships are renewal. Yes. So you literally sign a contract. Tell me if this seems amateur or professional. You sign a contract that is renewable, that if you underperform or you don't do what you're supposed to do, and it's not as easy, don't get me wrong, it's not as easy as a professional contract. Mm-hmm. In some ways it is, though. They can pull that scholarship, and now you're back to square one with the rug pulled out from underneath you. But say you do continue moving on, the expectation is for this scholarship, you are going to get an education. We're going to give you an education. Nobody's saying you're going to get a substantive education, but we're going to give you access to an education. Mm-hmm. That's what people don't really understand. 
through a scholarship, we give you access to an education, not an education. And access doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to make sure that you have all of the spoils of uh, great career advisement and put you in the, the, the uh, track of, of getting a degree that's going to actually move you towards fulfillment and ultimately gainful employment, let alone in an expensive, expensive area like the Bay Area. You get access to it. So you do something for us, we'll do something for you. Sounds like a pro deal to me. And then once you're done, we're done. Contract dissolved. That's a professional relationship. And these student athletes are not coming into it with that mindset. They still think somebody's in love with them. They still think this institution, these institutions, plural, are in love with them as, as a person. And don't get me wrong, there are people that really have your, your, your good interest in mind. But the system isn't set up that way. Academia is set up to keep you on the field, not to keep you moving towards this fulfillment goal of a career mm-hmm. and gainful employment. They're set up to keep you on the field. I've had so many students come to me and say, Dr. Fletcher, I'd love to take your sport communication class, but you know what? It's right in the middle of practice. And I start looking at myself to say, am I doing something wrong? Yes. No. The vast majority of the undergraduate population wants morning classes. So we set schedule morning classes, which now doesn't allow for many student athletes to go and take the classes they want to. So you look up and is that a want? No, it's a systemic thing. Yes, yes. So, so now the academic advisors down in athletics, because they have their own. Uh, yeah. It's a system. It's, it's everyone play, everyone plays a role in it. Yes. Are pushing them down this, this systemic road that's been created for them. And we're, we're cogs in the wheel. I'm one of those cogs that's trying to jam my arm in there to stop the wheel to say, hey, this is Change right. Change it, yes. This isn't right. Yes. But most of us had been on our hiring date. We were plugged into this wheel. And now this wheel is moving. And nobody knows outside of their role in the wheel. You know, it's like it's like a, a lug nut on a, on, a, on a wheel, on a tire, on your car. Yes. The lug nut only knows its vantage point. It's not looking from a, from the treads vantage point. It's not looking from the, the, the rotors vantage point. It's not looking from the brake pads vantage point. Nobody's taking a step back to look at the whole wheel and say, man, is this taking us where we want to go? No, we're just plugged into our respective positions. And ultimately, these student athletes are not coming through this and out of it with the proper support system that is fueled by these institutions. And if they don't have it outside of it, a family structure, I find, I, I find myself to be highly blessed and an anomaly. I have many, many uh, of my friends that, that I played ball with that didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Didn't even have a parents. They had a grandmother raising them. Or they had uh, guardians who were in and out, who had other more important priorities that they they placed in front of Mm -hmm. my buddies. They didn't have blueprints. They didn't have this buoyancy and stabilizing factor in their lives, period. Let alone in different areas of, boy, are you staying in your books? 
Are you thinking about life after football? Are you thinking about this? How's your How's your mental health? I didn't even have that. But how's your mental health? You got. I see you got hurt. I see you got burned on this deep ball. I see you fumbled the ball. How's your mind after that? No. You got people playing their roles, trying to get you ready for that next uh, snap, trying to get you ready for that next ball game, trying to get you ready to be the athlete that you were signed on to be. And then those who are, when you have to take that hat off and become a student, now you look up and the people who are, are, are supposedly supporting the student side of the student athlete, they're still attached to the athlete side of it. So they're making sure the athlete is catered to. They're making sure the student doesn't get in, way of, in the way of the athlete yeah. side of it. Make sure that you're at practice. So. That block from about nine to noon. <laughs> so any class that's offered that, that's not going to be yours. Yes. That's the majority of our most. Uh, the, the point uh, of part of the day, like the classes. classes. Yes. That's, that's most of our our most popular classes are filling that window. Exactly. So you, tell me, you tell me the motivation a student athlete is supposed to have about academics when you get you get seventy something percent of the the most popular classes on campus xed out during the season, and then yeah. off season. Still got, especially football, mm-hmm. we got spring practice. Yes. So, and if you miss that, now you got something to answer to from your athlete hat that you got to put on. You're not dedicated. You're not. You're not down like everybody else. You're not this. You're not that, and all the other cliches mm-hmm. that we mentioned. Because no matter how much your coaches want to see you successful as a full rounded individual. Uh, this is still a wins and losses business. Yes. And if, I am, if I'm telling too many of my student athletes that it's okay to leave practice a little bit earlier so you can go do this this uh, computer lab or you can go do this science lab, eventually these wins and losses are going to catch up. Yeah. The coach is going to be out of the job. So even the coach is plugged into that wheel. That's you know? a little call. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So... What are your thoughts about student athletes getting paid and getting sponsorships now? How, how do you feel about it? I mean, I know this is another conversation we have, but yeah, yeah. But 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 you you right there, you you, you are in the field as a, as a professor and you, as an athlete, so you can understand for both sides. So do you? Do you I mean, personally, I think it's good, but I also see a downfall behind it. But mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts about it? I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, I love. I love because anytime that we have an opportunity in, in this country to somewhat undo the hypocrisy that we live through every day in terms of free enterprise and free market and go get your market value, I'm all for it. I don't care what labels we put on it of amateurism. Mm-hmm. I am all for it. I vividly remember. When Electronic Arts had NCAA football, and I used to sit in my little dorm room, and we used to see ourselves as little electronic men on the game, and you know what? I got nothing. Nothing. Except for the gratification of, that's me. That's my number. That's this. We're San Jose State. We made it. No, we didn't. Uh It was a falsehood. I didn't make it. How much money am I getting off of that? What royalties am I getting off of that? What are any of us sitting in my dorm room or sitting in my, my we used to have this this um, this this little off-campus apartment and we screamed, loved it. 
And then when I turned that off, I went and ate my little ramen noodles like everybody else. And thinking through that and thinking through, even those that get a little payola under the table, some extra benefits from some of these power five schools that sometimes will get caught, other times will not get caught. Mm-hmm. There's a little white envelope. They, still, they <laughs> yes. still are not getting, they still were not getting the, the commiserate revenue that they were bringing to these institutions. Agreed. I'll tell you this, my senior year, we upset defending Big Ten champion, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And the joke after that was we stole a half a million dollars because they paid us 500 grand to go play them, thinking they were just going to beat us up. Wow. And while we were laughing and joking, the joke was on us. We were laughing with, with the administration and everybody else who was joking about it. It was in the newspapers out here. You can look it up in the Mercury News. San Jose State stole to add icing on the cake and insult to injury to defending Big Ten champs. They were paid 500 grand to go play them. Uh, no, the joke was on us in hindsight. Yes. They got 500. Not the athletes. Yes. We got beaten up to get you $500,000 under the guise that this was part of our scholarship athlete contract. So now take whatever glory you get from it and memories you get from it. Mm -hmm. Go sit in the cold tub and ice yourself up. And now get back out there. Because we're about to go cast this check and possibly upgrade some facilities or put it in revenue sharing for the other sports that are part of our athletic department. But Sean Fletcher didn't see a dime yes. of that. So I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I'm all for these athletes potentially going to get what they are worth. One thing that I do have significant issue with, and part of this is a byproduct of, again, sport being a microcosm of society and reflecting a lot of the ills of society is that I do not believe that it's equitable, uh, remotely equitable. Um, I I do know that, again, many of these Power Five conferences, like Ohio State's quarterback and Alabama's quarterback, they signed on for nearly uh, a million dollars before they had a snap, before they took a snap. That's on the strength of the name. That's on the strength of the name of that institution. You tell me a mid-major institution that's going to have an athlete to command that and the the life-changing opportunity that that's going to have. If those young athletes end up getting nothing professionally out of this deal, they won. They won. Unlike the example I gave you of playing NCAA sport and not getting a dime like the Ed O'Banners of the world. I remember every... Every every friend I had that played college ball, that was the biggest complaint. And, and and I agree, but yeah, so they did. Yes. They, it was it was it was past time, but my concern is not simply mid-majors. My concern is when we think about Title IX and we think about uh, uh, some of the holes in Title IX in terms of the equity of opportunity for for women athletes. Mm-hmm. Um I think about you know those those twins who are who are up in the Bay Area. I believe they play volleyball. I'm not sure specifically, but again, when you go back and look at the NIL deals that that they signed, mm-hmm. sport was secondary. Oh yes, it was it was about feminism. It was about sex. It was about a, a lot of the things that 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 I loathe about women's sports and how misogynistic 
this male-centered sport world continues to make it. Mm-hmm. And just like, again, just like when we saw with the, the, the Tokyo Olympics or the Norwegian uh, beach volleyball team said, we're going to protest and not wear these spandex shorts because our male counterparts are wearing baggy shorts. Why? Why? Because sex still sells. And we're seeing that even in this NIL space, that on the strength of their athletic prowess, we're still seeing that female athletes are still not being given their flowers and their just due and respect on the strength of their skill set that man or woman can replicate. We're still seeing that largely a marketing industry that is funneled through this NIL agreement, they're still plugging into our women athletes based upon the ills of this society which still says sex sells and athletic prowess is still reserved for male athletes in terms of merchandising and selling. That's a big problem. I still see being put out there through and represented through NIL. Yes. Remember, um, um, remember it was an issue, uh, I think it was in Oregon, uh, NCAA, uh, I think it was a final four, the sweet 16 with the women and they, and, and, and they was in the uh, in the gym. They had no no waist or anything, but the males have everything. They posted on Instagram, and immediately within two days, they fixed it because it was bad mm-hmm. press. Mm-hmm. But it just speaks for itself, yeah. And I have a daughter. My daughter's an athlete. Uh, she runs track, and I see it every day, and it just hurts, especially in track, because the way they do the women with the gears is like mm-hmm. this guy change. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. yes. Yeah. It, it, again, it reflects society. Mm-hmm. It still reflects society. And we're going along to get along, not challenging many of the old archaic reasonings why uh, uh, women sprinters still wear draws out there, basically. They yeah, still wear panties out there. Yeah. Like, what the difference? You just call it a track singlet. Mm-hmm. But go home and get undressed and look at your track singlet and look at what you're wearing when you get undressed. Same, same thing. Same the thing. Same thing. And when it comes down to it, when I looked at the gear that I wore to work out or to run track or to do these things, it didn't look the same as when I got undressed at home. Did not look the same at all. So the questions still have to be asked. What are some of the things that we need to challenge that got us to this point of, of further marginalizing our, our women athletes yes. to where we turn away from their athletic exploits and prowess? And we're still focusing on giving the public that still tends to be largely misogynistic that we continue to go with this old, old hat of marketing that we're going to give consumers what they say they want as opposed to unlearning and reteaching a public to not be so doggone misogynistic and that you're going to like what you see. Mm-hmm. based upon their skill set. And if you can't deal with, with, with female athletes not showing all their body parts to where they can't even get in good with stretching and, and, and the, 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 the plyometrics of their sport for them to be so great at it mm-hmm. without you seeing every nook and cranny of their body, come on. That's not cool. Yes, yes. That's the problem. And, and we know that. An example you gave with, with, the, with last year's NCAA tournament, somebody saw that there was just a rack of waves for women when they put it out. Yep. 
and they also saw that that the men had this this plush, uh, well staffed and well stocked weight room that they had pulled together. Yeah. Somebody made that decision. It wasn't an oversight. They made it. And you're absolutely correct that until the light got shined on it, nobody was moved to act. Well, again, do I have to force you? That's the definition of integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Yes. So do I have to make sure that every light is shined on every dark area of of collegiate athletics for you to do right? Because it's not possible. That's not possible. There's no watchdog group that can shine a light on every ill of uh, in every corner of collegiate athletics. It's not possible. Yeah, it's so definitely a lot. That's why you got people like you and me trying to have these conversations yes. so we can be a light and try to shine lights on, uh, on areas that ultimately, again, people suffer in mm-hmm. silence and suffer because we just think that this is the way things are. Yes. Do it. No, it can't be. I have a daughter myself. Yes. And I have a, I have a son who I don't also want to be trained in school and socialized into thinking this stuff is cool. Yes. Not for him or anybody else. It's yes. not. We got to un- unlearn. Unlearn and look at the bigger picture and compete and make an impact. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I agree with you 100%. And we can go on and on because so much to cover, to talk about. Yeah. But, uh, God say it's really really a pleasure uh just to have you on the show to really break it down from a black male perspective point of view from an athlete point of athlete <laughs> athletic point of view athlete's point of view excuse me in a professor point of view it's really a pleasure so to wrap this up because we can go on and on it's so much more and i think we got to do something more serious about this <laughs> personally uh, what what, what advice can you give to the athletes that having problems, you know, don't have the sports, but, you know, in a dark space, trying to try transition from sports to life after sports? What advice can you give them? Well, I would say if you don't have a plan, start start developing a plan. Um, and, and, and there was one thing that, that we used to always say, uh, earlier in my career is own your own development. Do not expect that someone else is going to jump in and own your development. There is, there is no one that owes you that. Nobody owes you anything. All right. Even when it comes to your development. So pulling together, even a cobbled together plan, where folks like me can jump in and say, hey, let me, I see you trying, but let me help you. I see you trying, sister, I see you trying, brother, but let me help you out a little bit. Let me let me tell you how, how I saw things. And now you can make that relevant to your contemporary journey that, that you're doing things. Starting with even a look to say, I need to not live hat in hand, day to day, foot to mouth, and say, this is what I want. This is what I want from a vision standpoint. Because I'm one of those dudes, man, that I don't care if, if the, the, the kitchen sink is full of dishes. Once I get in my mind, 
a beautifully clean area, I gotta go get it. I gotta yes. make it happen. Not gonna stop. You gotta achieve it. Yeah. Start with your vision. Start with your mind. What do mm-hmm. you want? Mm-hmm. Do you want the NFL? Well, start putting together a real plan. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be an entrepreneur? Do you want to use your your gift of gab and be across a microphone? Okay, well, work backwards. How you gonna get there? What are you gonna do? Because if you look up and too much of your plan is predicated and dependent on someone else, you got a problem. We used to do that in project management in the corporate world. We used to call them dependencies. You got too many dependencies in your plan. That means you don't have control. Somebody else does. Own your own development. Again, a closed mouth doesn't get fed as well. Start unlearning some things that our generation perpetuated from previous generations that you're in this by yourself you're not transparency is okay being careful of over disclosure you do want to guard some things but finding support through other people but not expecting them to just have this discerning eye and say hey jerry i see you look a little down i see you look like you're you're a little (laughs) unsure about stuff if you're waiting for somebody to have this spiritual discernment to come and intervene no Sometimes you just got to call me and say, mm-hmm. hey, Doc, man, listen, I just want to pick your brain on something. I'm confused. Yes. I don't get enough of that. Okay. The professionals out there in the industry that I talk with say that they don't get enough of that either. Of people just reaching out saying, I just want to pick your brain mm-hmm. so I can figure out what I want to do next. They don't get enough of that. So all of that leads to owning your own development because not everybody is going to have a blueprint. So many student athletes are first generation, meaning they don't have a blueprint. They don't know. They've never seen it. So you can't pack up and go home because you don't have a blueprint. Start putting one foot in front of the other and stacking these these learns and, and ultimate successes and start moving forward with the help of other people that you need to bring in to your village. The misnomer is that there's this village that's stocked with everything you need. While it should be, it's not always the case, but also that village oftentimes are waiting for you to come and reach out to them, not them to come to you. This isn't some movie. So my, 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 what I tell student athletes and what I'll continue to tell them is while it's harsh, it's true. You cannot go back in time and change your lineage. You cannot change whether your father was there or your mother was an astrophysicist who showed you the ropes or if your your grandparents left a trust fund to your parents so they left it to you and now you're kind of playing with house money. Don't have to don't don't need the pressure of a scholarship like people like me and my family did. Mm-hmm. That you don't need to, to worry about uh, uh, what I'm going to do for my kids once I have them because I got a little bit of a nest egg that's there. You can't go back in time and change that. That ultimately would have given you this support mm-hmm. system to guide you through the dark paths of life. You can't yes. go back and change that. The here and now is what you do control. Exactly. And the here and now is what you have to operate within and look up sometimes and see the support that's out there 
extending their hands to say, I don't know what you need, but my hand is out. Mm. And because my hand is out, I'm just ra- I'm just waiting on you to reach out and grab my hand and tell me what you need. There are a lot of us out there. There are a lot of us out there, but we're not always going to come to you. So do not think it's on your own. The mental health aspect of it is also very important as well. Do not suffer in silence. If you don't know, ask. Find the things that, that are going to allow for you to move forward in a healthy way, both mind, body, and spirit. And ultimately, that's what's going to win the day. That's ultimately what's going to keep you on the path to, to happiness and, and healthy, fulfilling, meaningful lives. But again, even those who have the greatest of plans, like the great Mike Tyson, the philosopher said, that changes when you get hit in the mouth and life will hit you in the mouth. And that's why you have to be firmly planted on yes. the path you're on. So when life hits you in the mouth, and the storms of life blow you off of your track. Mm-hmm. You know who you are, you know what you want, and you get back on the path to doing that. That's ultimately where I see the success in my own life and the lives of others. Mm-hmm. You've experienced that as well, mm-hmm. is that you're not always going to know what the end game is going to be. But if you, if you do the things necessary to prepare yourself to stay on the course, best thing that you can do is show up every day but you have to do what's necessary to prepare your mind body and soul to show up every single day and go round for round pound for pound with life exactly and that's how you that's how you become who ultimately you want to be through the help of others and and, and if you're uh, uh, a believer like myself the, the good lord above exactly and how can people contact you? Uh, or I know you. I know you have a business. So yeah. just, just 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 give them your information. If people have any questions, want to contact you? Um, just direct them to your to your business website. Or yeah, you can go. You can go to seanjfletcher.com, S H A U N J F L E T C H E R, and you can see a lot from a business standpoint about what I do in the DEI space. But also, there's a lot about just who I am as a, as a person, as, a, as an advocate, uh, as a, a media personality. You can see some of the things that I've done, some of the interviews I've done, my TEDx talk. Uh, just really sort of a, a 360 of, of who I am. And if, if some of that allows for you to, to plug into what I do, I, I would love to do it. Excellent, excellent. And uh, Dr. Flasher, what can I say? It was a pleasure. I hope we can do this again. Thank you from the uh, from the Sports Lounge <laughs> podcast family. Just want to thank you for this um, opportunity and, um, and just give us um, some of your time to uh, give back. So thank you again. We'll definitely in contact and, uh, and many blessings and keep it moving so, forward. Great. Likewise, keep thank doing you. the great work. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. And I'm sure somewhere down the line, uh, we'll need a part two. Oh, yes. Great job. Appreciate it, man. Thanks again. Have a great All day. Right. All right. Bye.